Thomas Kuhn. Thomas Kuhn is helping us with our service. Uh, RUF is a, a, a mission work at the PCA, which is our denomination, and we've received uh, a lot of Thomas's gifts here in our church. One of the gifts that he brings, not only with preaching, uh, is, is serving the sacraments and, and helping with the liturgy. And so we're going to be talking a little bit about missions within our passage, um, but as a church, I want us to be thinking always about uh, the mission of God in the world to to reach people who don't know Jesus with with the gospel. And so, Thomas, we thank you for helping us out. Um, and we are grateful for your and Molly's work on campus. Uh, we think you've done a great job. So uh, today we're going to be looking at uh, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Genesis 12, 1 through 3 is one of the most foundational passages in all of Scripture to help you understand not just the Old Testament, but the whole scope of Scripture and I, I love uh, new starts. I love new beginnings. I am not a hater on resolutions. Uh, if you are a resolution type person, um, I, I would love to uh, read through the Bible with you in a year. If that's something that you're interested in, please reach out to me. There's tons of uh, apps that we could use together to read uh, the Bible in a year. I think that's a great way to um, engage with God. And so uh, if there's other ideas on resolutions that you have um, to get near God, please feel free to share them with others or with me. Um, this is God's word to you today. And we're going to talk about uh, what, what 2022 might look like in, in our church um, from this text. And so I'm really going to be focusing on just the first verse of our passage. But there's a lot in these three verses, but we're going to be uh, honing in on verse one. This is God's word to you today. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so I'm going to pray. Would you, um, it's our tradition here that we spend a few moments in silence and we engage in prayer. And what we're asking God to do is to show up through, through his word, through the preaching of his word. So pray with me. Father, I'm so thankful for another day. I'm so thankful for um, each story and face uh, in this room and those who might be watching from home. 
I'm so grateful for uh, stories like the story of Abram and how you changed him. You even changed his name um, to let him live into the blessing of his life that you poured in to his story. And I ask that as we think of our lives as individuals and then collectively as a community, uh, what does it mean to, to listen to, to the call that you have on our lives? And uh, the daunting nature of it um, is overshadowed by the gospel, the good news that you are bringing renewal into every aspect of everything and that you will not quit until everything is restored. And so, Lord, help us to see that right now. Help us to live in light of that, uh, as Brian prayed in his prayer, live in light of that, the hope of the new world, the new creation, and to, to bring that future into the present in, in faith, in, in the faith that under your sovereign hand, all things are working out for our good and your glory. And so help us to see that. Um, help us to, to be confident in that. Um, in the midst of our weakness, help us to, to be bold. So we ask that in Christ's name, amen. Um, any, anything you do in life is going to cost you. Uh, you can't really get away from that. If you, t- if you take New Year's resolutions, for example, and you know a lot of people try to change up their nutrition habits uh, in the New Year's because you just got finished eating a bunch of sweets and and so, you know, let's say you're trying to really hone in and get more healthy uh, with your eating habits. Um, the, the cost comes at night when like a big piece of chocolate cake is calling out to you and you really want it. Uh, there's a cost where you have to say to your habits, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Um, and the reason why uh, you did that is because you've been counting the cost all year and you see the ramifications of not having any self-control over your eating habits. And so either way you go, there's a cost to be paid. And I, I want you to be thinking about, um, you know, this is, this is a new year. Uh, whether, whether you're thinking of engaging the God of the Bible for the very first time in your life or you've been following God for a long time, uh, there's a sense into which there is always a starting over, a continual process of renewal that God wants us to kind of live in that, in that tension of what, is it, what does it look like for you to be engaged with God here in, in this present moment? And part of the first step, when when you realize that that's happening in your life, what God does is that he reveals to you the cost that you've been paying just to live life the way that you're living currently. That you're counting a cost to live in the way that you're living currently. In this portion of scripture, in three verses, what it shows us is someone who's been entrenched in a lifestyle that's very costly, that's pagan, and it's very unhealthy, how that person became the central figure for how God would bless and save the world. That's who Abram is. Abram, the pagan, uh, listened to God's call on his life to go out. And that's simply what we're going to look at uh, today with one point, the cost of God's call in verse one. Now, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country 
and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Abram left his land, his family, which meant that he left everything that was familiar and safe and dear to him. And Richard Pratt, one theologian, says that Abram was probably well connected. He was from this place called Ur of the Chaldeans. And in Joshua 24, verse 2, it says that he and his family served other gods, which probably meant that he was in the star and moon worshiping business, making little figurines of gold and silver stars and moons. And it was probably lucrative, is what Richard Pratt says. And God comes to him in the midst of his culture, in the midst of his family, in the midst of that business, and says, leave everything you know, and I'll show you where to go. And he doesn't actually tell him where he's supposed to go. It's more like, I'll let you know when we get there. And in, in Hebrews 11, verse 8, it says, Abram went out not knowing where he was going. And uh, I just want to stop right there and talk to you planners out there who like to know the future. Um, I am among you. I like to have things ironed out. I know what I'm doing two Christmases from now, you know, that type of person. Uh, it would have seemed irresponsible and crazy to Abram's family and to Abram for him to listen to God's call here. Like it, it, do, it doesn't make any logical sense to his life. Now, what does the Bible mean when it says call? God's call on your life. As simple as I can put it, um, God wants to involve everyone that's interested in his plan to save the world. You included. He would like to include you in on that if you want to be a part of it. And part of why we support missionaries like the Terrazas, like the Coons, like hopefully more in the future is because they leave things that are familiar. Uh, sometimes they leave everything that's familiar to pursue God's mission in the world to bring the gospel to people. That's what they do with their lives. This is why we are about church plants in Lincoln. Because when churches are planted, more people hear about Jesus, but simultaneously it gets the already gathered churches back on mission to go out into unfamiliar territory to be a blessing to other people. And in so doing, we get blessed. Now, there are normally two objections about being on the mission of God, both from the insider of God's people and, and the outsider. And here's the first objection, the insider objection. Why plant more churches when there are already so many churches, especially in the United States? Or when our current churches aren't that healthy, why plant more churches? And that's a great question and one that I have wrestled with myself. But here's, here's one answer. Moving out specifically in evangelism is one of the healthiest things a Christian can do because it forces you to remember that you yourself was once saved and the impossibility of that without God. When you engage those outside of the walls of a church or the walls of religion, 
what you remember, John, John Wesley, when he went to go be a missionary to the, the Native Americans in Georgia, he said, I went, I went to go convert Native Americans. And what I realized in the process is that I myself needed to be converted. And in essence, when you plant churches, what it does is that it helps Christians rediscover the gospel for themselves in very new ways. It's one of the healthiest things to do um, for the, church, the churches that already exist. The outsider objection to planting more churches or to be a part of the mission of God. This is the accusation that, that Christians are super prideful to think that their way is the way that everyone should follow. That you should follow Jesus and, and it's, it, it's exclusive. And, you know, a lot of times I have friends like this. If we, they, they think if we could just stop talking about like sin or just the need to be saved, the world would be so much better off. You know, if you just believe what you believe and I believe what I believe and we stay out of each other's way, the world would be much a much more peaceful place. And I think if we can learn anything from the past two years, <laughs> it is that our our beliefs do affect those around us. Because we have to, like, do stuff together. We got to get stuff done together as human beings and what you believe affects me and what I believe affects you. Even if what you believe is like, you stay out of my way. You mind your own business. That affects me. That affects you. No matter what path you choose, there is a cost. And so what made, what made it worth it for Abram? You know, he continued to follow God in the midst of hardship. Or if you, if you just ask yourself currently, what, what makes it worth it for you to continue to follow God? I do think when you when you meet the God of the Bible, you do have what I would call like a Peter moment at some point where where you say, I don't I don't know where else I would go. Like, I don't know where else to go. God, like you, you have the words of eternal life um, because the, the Christian moves through life with an assumption that there is nothing else outside of God. He is all that there is. And so he can demand things of me because he's given me everything. He has every right to demand anything from me because he gave me all that I am. And you eventually have to say, if you follow this God, he either supernaturally came into my life and changed me. And I owe him everything. Or I can get busy numbing myself because he really isn't there or distracting myself with good things to, to not think about the inevitable conclusion. Um, John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace, talks about, and this is, a, this is such a deep, discerning way to think about life. He talks about even the most uh, healthy marriages in this world could be one of the greatest dangers to you listening to the call of God in your life. And the reason why is because it's so easy to turn God's good gifts into the thing itself that you're living for. Everything in our world, almost everything you experience is exactly, it trains you to think this is exactly how I want my life to go. And God comes into the midst of that like he does with Abraham, and he says, I'm going to actually pluck, pluck you out of your normal way of living, and I want you to trust me with that. And I want you to come with me. 
And our response is always like, well, where, where are we going to go? And God says, I'll let you know when we get there. I hate that answer, right? I mean, my, my children, when we go on a road trip, like, well, how, how much longer? Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> we'll stop by McDonald's, you know, just chill. Um, my, my friend got a, uh, a frozen waffle iron from his daughters for Christmas that um, makes like, you know, crystal stars as waffles. And on the top of the waffle iron, it, it says, uh, believe in the journey. <laughs> That's what God's asking you to do. You go, you go after God. This is what happens. You go after God. He promises it. You will get the things that your heart needs and longs for. You go after the things that you need and you long for in the stuff of creation and you will get neither. Um, when I was 18, when I, when I first converted to Christianity, I felt a strong call to be a preacher, to do what I'm doing, to be a pastor. And I, I counted the cost very early on. You know, I, I wanted to be a, a finance major going into college because I like to think about money. I like to think about plans. I like to think about the future. And I, I remember thinking, if I go down this path of like following God with my life, it's very possible that I could never own a home. And it's very possible that I'm not going to have enough money to like support a family. And I'm going to have to settle for somebody that I don't love or somebody's going to have to settle for me. And so I'm probably not going to get married. Um, and both those things turned out not to be true. But at 18 years old, I really was. I was like, well, I'm going to be miserable if I don't follow God. So, OK. Like I wasn't happy about counting that cost. And what happened is that God gave me way more than I could ever have desired. It blew my mind in so many ways and continues to do so. Abram and Sarah looked ridiculous. To follow the, <laughs> they were past the age of sexual vigor, okay? And God's like, I'm gonna give y'all a child. That's just kind of dumb, right? Um, and if you, you know, if you pay attention to Abram's life, you know, from Genesis 12 to 25, you'll, you'll learn something, and it's that to have a blessed life doesn't, doesn't mean a life without doubt. It doesn't mean a life without strife. It doesn't mean accomplishing your goals. What it means is that in the midst of all that, in the midst of hardship, you have nearness to God. That's what it means to be blessed. To know and be known by God. God would, I mean, God would ask Abram to kill his own son. And if you just like the contradictory nature of that, like that, that was the one through whom God would fulfill his promises. And God tells Abraham, I want you to kill him. Stab him. That's hard, right? Abram, um, <laughs> he, he was a star worshiper. 
This is what he did growing up. He worshipped the stars and the moon, and God used that part of Abram's story to do something very, very peculiar. And I want you to think about this for, with your own specific story. He said to Abram, every time you doubt my promises, you doubt my covenant, I want you to go outside and I want you to look up at the stars. And as many of them as you see, that's how many I'm going to multiply your children. You're not even going to be able to count them. And what, what God was doing is God was giving Abram an, an option on how to count the cost of his life. He was saying either your whole life has been a setup to accomplish my mission through you. Or you can do things that the way that you've always done them to get through this life. Worship the stars. Worship the stuff of this creation. Which is it? That's very peculiar to his story. In what way do you think God is peculiarly calling you out with your story? In ways that only really you can know. You know, Christians are supposed to be a strange folk in this world. Not because we've created some like weird culture, but because we believe in things that aren't physically there. That's strange. Hebrews 11.10 says, By faith he was looking for... This, this is what Abraham was doing. He was looking forward to a city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. It wasn't actually there. What does that mean for you and for us as, as a church? It means that your future shapes how you live today. That it informs every aspect of how you live your present life. Jesus says to those who ask this question about losing things if they follow him, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, well, what, what about us, Jesus? We, like if we leave things and we follow you and become your disciple, what does that mean for us? And Jesus seems to, to honor that question. And he says, in the new world, and that word is palingenesia, the, the new creation where God's going to renew everything that we know in the new world. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Please think about that with me just, just for a moment. Whatever you give up in this life, you will re for, for the sake of Jesus Christ, for the sake of faith, for the sake of following God, you will receive a hundredfold. The, thing, the things that you've suffered... Because you believe in God. The things that you've given up because you want to follow him. That you will receive a hundredfold in the new world. Let me ask you something. Um, <laughs> when are we going to stop asking this world to deliver things that it can't deliver? You know, I've been paying the cost of uh, playing, trying to play basketball like I'm still 18 years old. The, the, uh, the knees are, are paying the cost, Right. And we, we do all this sort of uh, like asking the world to, to just hang on to that small inkling when it's, when it's going away so, so very fast. My, uh, we, we got tons of Christmas cards in the mail and we got one from a family and that Sarah and I used to watch their kids when they were infants. And these kids are like huge now. And I sent a text to the family and I said, you 
your kids are so massive. And the mom said, she said, don't blink. Kids don't keep. Everything changes and evolves so fast that it's gone. It's gone so, so quickly. But that pace is not alarming to God. Like he, he's not alarmed by how quickly things go, even though it is to us. And here, here's what I know about God in the small experience that I have. If you follow him, he's going to call you to do things that seem impossible for a person like you to do. And he's going to hone in on that area where you are particularly weak, not to be cruel, but so that he will get your heart. So that you will begin to desire him to make you willingly bow down and worship him because he wants to show you his goodness through that area in your life where you've given up, where you've given up on hope of changing, where you've given up in that area where you're just like, it just seems impossible. It seems impossible for a person like me to do this. And God's like, watch. That's what he did with Abram. And he called him into submission. When a person does that, when a person is grabbed by God like that, you know what happens? Other people find God because they look at somebody like that and they're like, that's how I'm supposed to be. That's what a human being is. An image of God, a reflection of him, a pointer to God. That person's at more rest than me because they've submitted to God. They've listened to God. To be blessed by God And to bless others does not mean that you're super devout. It doesn't mean that you keep all your commitments or your resolutions. But it means the idea here is that of a priest, that you are to to be a blessing to other people, which which means that when people get near you, God comes into focus for them. That's a very different way to live than when people get near you, they pay attention to you. That when people get near you, they're like, I think God's around. And you've kind of become superfluous. Now, if we, if we stopped right here and, and we said, okay, let's just get into the mission of God. Let's get out there and do it. Uh, I, the analogy that I always hated growing up was let's get off the bench and get into the game. <laughs> uh, you know, that sometimes that, that's okay. And sometimes it can last for a time. But then you eventually go back to your normal rhythms and feel kind of guilty and just kind of move, move along. But God comes to you right now like he comes to Abram and he says, I'm giving you this blessing before you show any level of commitment to me. I'm blessing you before you do anything. And Abram gets this promise before he even steps out. And what God is saying is that you were a pagan worshiper. And now I want you to worship me. You worship my rival. And now I want you to worship me and and live into that. Move into that way of life. And there's going to be so many slip ups from Abram and doubt and questioning. But the more he believed and assumed the blessing of God, what, what happened is that other people got blessed. When he doubted it, other people uh, got into trouble. And then it says the last part of the promise here and one that I I want to focus on as as we move into the last section of the sermon is Abram, those who dishonor you, I will curse. 
And the theme of blessing and cursing is oh, it's super interesting in all of Scripture and somewhat terrifying. Um, it, start, it starts very early on. I was reading Cain and Abel's story this morning and how, you know, a lot of people think every, every human being has a Cain complex of fearing that they are cursed by God. But you can, tra- you can trace this theme all throughout Scripture. There's this story about King David. King David was probably one of the most blessed people in all of Scripture. And he becomes a monarch. He becomes a king of the whole world, essentially. Uh, But he did that through overthrowing Saul and his family. Saul was a Benjaminite, which is from the tribe of of Israel. And so during uh, David's reign, his son Absalom uh, revolts against David and kicks him out of Israel. And on his way out, him and all his army, they're on this way out. And this guy named Shimei comes up to David and starts flinging dust on him and cursing him. And he says, David, the reason why you have a revolting son is because you killed my family. And this is God's punishment on you because you killed my family. You're a man of blood. You're a man of war. And David, this is one of the most interesting responses of anything in all of Scripture. David's mighty man says, hey, you want to chop off his head? Because he very easily could have done it. And David says, no, he's right. Maybe God sent him to curse me. I did, I did do all that. That there's a sense into which Shimei was right because I'm, I'm a man of blood. I'm a, I'm a mixture like we learned last week. There's good and bad in me. Now back, back to Abram. Um, he who dishonors you, Abram, I will curse. The problem is that there are going to be times in Abram's life where he doesn't want the blessing of God. There are going to be times in Abram's life where he treats himself with dishonor. And it's almost like he's inviting the curse himself, where he does not want to be a blessing to the nations. This is why Jesus had to come. Because God has promised to love people and to bless people that don't want to be loved and blessed. When Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And the reason why is because Jesus was being baptized into the covenant curses for you. He was being baptized because he was the only one who didn't have that mixture. He was the only one that was obedient. And when he was baptized, what what God was saying is that this is the one that I will curse so that I can bless my people. This is the one that I I will not love so that I can love you, so that he can love me, so that he can go grab people like Abram and say, accomplish my mission in the world. So what's the point um, of all that? The Bible says to you this morning, nothing is going to motivate you to be on the mission of God. Nothing is going to motivate you enough to do what you know you need to do. So look to Jesus. 
And Jesus says, I had to die because you wanted to live a life without God. You were content to do so. And here's the irony of Christianity and the thing that sets it apart from everything else in the world and the reason why I still believe. Our lack of commitment to God becomes the heart of why we follow him. Please take that in. Our lack of commitment to God becomes the heart of why we follow him. Because we see the despairing difference of what we should be and what, what we aren't. And that Jesus himself fills the gap. And he says, find your righteousness in him. Not your commitments. Not the, the manner in which you've kept your goals. You didn't keep them. But God did through Christ. This is the gospel. And why it's so drastically different than anything else. Anything else gets you to try harder or just to give up. And this is precisely what God has come to do to, to magnify that area in your life where you feel the most weak, where you feel the most fearful. And God says, I want to use that section of your life to accomplish my purposes in the world. And it's going to feel cruel, but it ain't. Because it'll point you to me. My, uh, my neighbor asked me if I had ever tried a float tank before. You guys ever heard of these things? Um, and uh, I was like, absolutely not, man. That scares me to death. <laughs> so like the feeling of being out in the middle of nothingness with no like boundaries sounds just utterly terrible to me. And so I was like, no. Um, and he's like, well, aren't you supposed to be like a person of faith? Like, how do you reconcile that fear with your profession, like as a pastor? And I said, Nick, that's the heart of why I believe. Like, I, I believe because God lets people like me in. Because it's not about me, it's about Jesus. There was only one who was fearless. There was only one who believed in God at all times, that had no mixture, who always obeyed the, the call of God in his life. And the Christian is simply a messenger. Jesus is the message. And so your life should, just like Mary, should magnify the Lord, not your accomplishments or your failures. That's kind of superfluous. And it, like, as I read the story of Abraham, it can't get any more clear. Abram worshipped the stuff of creation and God came and grabbed him which must mean that anybody can follow this God. Anybody. You, your friends, and I would invite you in the year of 2022 to submit to him. This morning, this year, it'd be fun and hard and wonderful and awful and everything in between. Because that's what life is in this fallen world. But every path through this life will cost you everything. And in the end, it'll get you nothing in return. The call of God will cost you everything too. But because of the free gift of God's grace in Jesus, how it plays itself out in your life is that it'll seem laughable that he lets people like you and I in. Laughable. And it's God's delight to do it that way to take former pagans 
to accomplish his purposes in the world. Abram's the most famous man that all three of the major religions claim. We all claim Abram, Abraham. When he changed his name to Abraham, that just means the father of them or the father of many. There's so much more we could, uh, we could talk about from this text, but I want us to have that instinct as we think about the mission of God in the world, specifically within our context, that God's going to do whatever he wants to do. And we can be a part of that if we want. Um, but it starts with the gospel and it ends with the gospel and the gospel is what sustains in between. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this meal that we're about to uh, partake in. And it's uh, a sign and seal of your grace, the free gift of God in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, as we ponder more and more into that, that great um, union that we have with your son, Jesus, would we never forget and that, that you were cursed for us so that we could be blessed that you, you said, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. And Lord, that must, that must mean that Jesus himself is the Lord of the Lord.